Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect the disconnected to a growing relationship with God. You can connect with God, and we can help. Well, hey, Connect. We haven't had a chance to meet yet. My name's Chris. Get to serve on the team here. And thrilled you decided to join us today. You know, we're in week seven of Rooted, but Rooted has really been more than a teaching series. It's, it's an experience. It's a group experience that we've been on together to connect more deeply with God, the church, and our purpose. Because we know the depth of our roots impacts our growth potential and our ability to be transformed. It comes through connection with God his church, and his purpose for us. Last week, we opened up a discussion around how we can make the most of our life. And we learned that God gifts each one of us. And he gifts us so that we can be a part of his church and seek his purposes ultimately for his glory. Today, we're going to keep that conversation going, but we're going to talk about how we can make the most of our life beyond the church. See, here's what we do. Typically in the church, we will celebrate people who are called to full-time ministry. People like pastors, ministry staff, missionaries. And what we do is we have them come up on stage, we lay our hands on them, and we pray for them, commissioning them to go do the big things that God has for them. And that's good, but it's incomplete. And unless we get Jesus' perspective on these things, we are at risk of missing the heart of God, and many of us failing to realize the purpose that God has given all of us. So with that in mind, if you have a Bible, please open with me to Luke 10, 25 through 37. We're going to look at a pretty famous story. Even if you're not, uh, you know, a regular with church, you've probably at least heard some of the characters in this story. But we're going to look at it today because it reveals God's heart for the hurting, and how we, all of us, whether we have a title or not, we can all have a meaningful life, make a a purposeful impact in our world. If you need a Bible or a place to jot down notes, you can, of course, follow along in the Connect Church app. Well, let's do this. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive in. Lord, we come before you eager to hear from you. Thank you that you speak through your word. Thank you that we get to open it up together now. And we ask that, Holy Spirit, you would speak in this moment. That this would be more than anything I could say that you would speak to each and every one of us in a personal way. And you would reveal to each of us how we can make a difference in our everyday lives. We ask this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. All right. Luke 10, starting in verses 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Okay, we got love God, love people. I mean, that sounds like the essence of Jesus' 
message in ministry, if you ask me. So it's no surprise that Jesus gave this religious expert an A plus on his knowledge exam. Uh, orthodoxy is a term that maybe you've heard before. Maybe it was in a world religions class or a philosophy class. Orthodoxy comes from the Greek and it stands for right beliefs or right doctrines. This guy's orthodoxy was on point. But knowledge is only part of the equation. Jesus invited the lawyer, this religious expert, to put his knowledge into practice when he said, do this and you will live. As interesting as orthodoxy is, Jesus is equally concerned, if not more so, with orthopraxy. Another word you may or may not be familiar with. It stands for right practice. Orthopraxy is all about doing what is right. Jesus invited the religious expert down from the ivory tower to take what he knows to the streets. But this guy is all too interested in the theological conversation. He still had more to say. Listen to this in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, this guy just got an A+, probably with a smiley face on his knowledge exam. This guy's knowledge is good. He doesn't have a knowledge problem. Practice was what he needed to do. And yet, he just wants more knowledge. And, and knowledge has an allure, doesn't it? Because with knowledge comes power, with knowledge comes prestige, and with knowledge comes pride. Uh, catch this guy's motive? I mean, look at this. He wanted to justify himself. And I've been there. I've, I've wanted the same thing. I think of times in life where I've wanted to gain more and more knowledge. And some of those motives have been pure, but sometimes it hasn't been so pure. I, I've wanted to understand just a little bit more so I could be a more respected leader. I've wanted to know the intricacies of God and just know his character so well that others would be impressed with my faith. I've taken too many classes to count on Christian doctrine, and I just have fallen into the trap of thinking, if I can just know all there is to know about Christian doctrine, then I'll be a sought-after pastor. But here's the newsflash. No one, no one in over a decade of ministry has asked me to grab coffee to talk about soteriology, ecclesiology, eschatology, or whateverology. And if you know one of the words I just said, could you too, like me, be at risk of possibly knowing more about faith than actually living out our faith? If there was ever anyone who had a PhD in theology, it was the Apostle Paul. This guy's resume would have blown my seminary professors out of the water. And here's what Paul had to write about knowledge. This is from 1 Corinthians he says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. When I read that, I think of uh, this metaphor. Like, if knowledge is food and love is exercise, all right? If knowledge is food and we just consume, 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 we're going to end up being spiritually obese, but if we consume and then it is lived out, exercised in the way we live our life, well, then it's 
you know, the knowledge actually fuels a life of health and fitness. We're spiritually fit because the consumption accomplished its intended purpose. It didn't just stay there and, well, create the spiritual obesity. Jesus, Jesus is not impressed with knowledge about love. Jesus is not wowed by that. What impresses Jesus, what he's after, is knowledge in, uh, of love that actually expresses itself in action. Like, we don't just know about love, we actually live differently. We live like he lived. That's what Jesus is inviting everyone into, and this is a hard thing for this religious expert. So, Jesus told a parable, a story with a point, and this is what he had to say. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Knowing that the religious expert's going to get uncomfortable with what actually matters to Jesus, Jesus shares this story. And in the story, a guy is beaten and left for dead. And a priest comes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He probably just finished his priestly duties in Jerusalem. And like that religious expert, the priest, oh, he knew the things of God. And he knew that if he touched this guy who was left for dead, then he wouldn't be able to do his priestly duties. So what does the priest do? Well, Jesus says he walks around him and avoids him altogether. But, but you know what? That's okay. Another, another guy comes, a Levite. A Levite would be like a, a church worker, someone on our team, someone like Hannah Parks. She's our kids director. Now, if you know Hannah, Hannah would never do this, but the Levite in this story comes down and, like the priest, would know the things of God, sees the guy, and so too he kind of tiptoes around him, gets, avoids him at all costs. And, and it's here where Jesus has another character enter into the story. And he says, but a Samaritan. And when he says, but a Samaritan, his whole Jewish audience, they would have like, oh, listen, like this is going to be good. Because Jews loathed Samaritans. You see, Samaritans didn't really know the things of God. They had wacky beliefs, mixing Judaism with religions of the other nations around the area. And the Jews would do everything to avoid Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with them. They're like half-bloods. So if a Jew had to travel and Samaria was the quickest way, if you traveled through Samaria, that'd be the fastest route. Nope, 10 out of 10 times, the Jew is going to go a different route. So the Samaritan is the last person 
Jesus' audience would have thought, oh, here's the hero, here's the hero in the story. And yet, it's a Samaritan that Jesus has swoop in with a red cape. And Jesus described that Samaritan's response this way. He took pity on him. Another translation puts it this way. He had compassion. In the original language, the idea is being moved in one's inward parts. Have you ever felt something so deeply that you feel it in your gut? That's how the Samaritan felt in this story. The Samaritan may not have had God all figured out, but he felt what God felt towards this man who had been left for dead. And because he felt something, he had to do something about it. It's actually orthopathy, right emotion, right affection that actually leads to orthopraxy. That's why we can't just know something, we have to actually feel it. And once we feel it, wow, our emotions are powerful things and we can't help but take action. And this wasn't just like a simple, you know, hey dude, you good? Good. Like, did my duty? No. The Samaritan stopped everything he was doing, got off his donkey, got down, bandaged this guy's wounds, then hoisted him up on the donkey and walked him to whatever the closest town would have been and helped him get settled in an inn. He took care of him and then he paid for it all in full. Do you think any of that was on his Google calendar? I don't think so. And I want to be like the Samaritan. I want to be interruptible. I want to meet the needs of those around me. When I see someone hurting, like I just want to stop everything and do that. But I haven't. I haven't lived that way. I even think back to a time when I was in seminary and I was biking back from the gym along the South Platte Trail. And as I'm biking down the trail, I see a guy like passed out on the side of the trail. Wasted. I have no idea what, his, what it was because I just blew right past him. Pedaled right past him. As I'm pedaling past, I'm justified it in my mind. I got, I got to get back to seminary. I got a paper I got to write. Like, I can't, I don't have time for this right now. It's an embarrassing story to tell, honestly. But it was a necessary lesson for me to learn. Hurry is the enemy of love. Hurry is the enemy of love. And if we're to love as Jesus calls us to love, then we've got to slow down. And we've got to see the needs of those around us. And then here comes the hard part. We've got to put down our plans so that we can pursue God's purposes. As a type A driven person, this idea of slowing down doesn't come naturally. And, uh, but when I have, and when others around me have encouraged me to take action when I should be taking action, I've seen tremendous blessing for it. Years after that incident, in seminary, uh, January 6, 2020. Amanda and I, we'd already moved back out here. We're in the, the early days of planting Connect Church, had groups meeting in homes at the time, and I was working at the Starbucks, the Lincoln Commons Starbucks, just down the hill from here. And Tyler and I were on a Zoom call before that was cool, and 
we were talking about something, some plans for the church, etc. When a random guy interrupts my Zoom call and he said, hey, uh, my name's Lewis. I, I saw your book, I had my rooted book actually on the table. And he's like, I saw your book. Are you a pastor? And I'm like, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. He's like, well, I just prayed with this guy outside, this homeless guy, and he really needs Jesus. So I don't know what you should do about that, but now you know. <laughs> okay, so Tyler says, all right, we, we can finish our meeting another time. Go, go talk to the guy. So pack up all my stuff. I head outside, and there's this guy sitting alone by himself on a 30-degree day in Colorado in January. I mean, it's pretty evident who the guy was. And I just grabbed the seat right next to him, plopped myself down. And I'm like, hey, man, this is, gonna, this is super random. My name's Chris, but Lewis just told me that he prayed with you, and I just wanted to come out and see if you need help or encouragement or anything. <laughs> the guy was like, definitely skeptical. Like, what? Okay, so I like, I, now I'm reading the social cues. I'm like, I'm going to ease into the conversation. Now, as I ease into the conversation, I find it very hard to honestly understand what he's saying. And I'm like listening and trying to listen, and like it doesn't, it's not all connecting until he said, I haven't slept in days. I thought, yeah, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like coherent if I hadn't slept in days either. And I was like, well, do you need a place to sleep? He's like, yeah. I'm like, Googling homeless shelters. Pretty disappointed with the results for Douglas County. So I was like, well, I know of Denver Rescue Mission. All right, if I can get you to the light rail station, do you want to stay at Denver Rescue Mission tonight? He's like, sure. So we go to my car. I clear off my front seat. I throw some gloves in the back that I'd got for Christmas. Everything's ready. We're good. We start driving to the light rail station. It's like a five-minute drive. And I just ask him, like, hey, is there anything I can pray for you as, you know, you go on your way? And he said, if you could pray for a job and, and housing for me. I'm like, great. So we pray for a job and we pray for housing. And then we pull into the light rail station. He gets out. He's trying to zip up his backpack, but he can't because his hands are still numb, still red. He can't zip up his backpack. So I just say, hey, like, do you have gloves to keep your hands warm? And he says, no, I, I lost them a couple days ago. I'm like, okay, no worries. Like, I grabbed the gloves I got from Christmas two weeks prior, and I just say, hey, do you want these? And he lit up. I mean, just lit. it was like Christmas morning all over again. And he is about to head on his way. I'm about to, you know, close the door and move, go, go on what I was, whatever I was going to do. And then it hit me. I was like, do you, do you have money for a light rail ticket? It's like, No. How did I not think of that? Well, because you all give, and many of you have given for a long time, even back before we had services, I bought him a light rail ticket from our church. And all I, I was just like, look, God loves you, and if you're ever back in the area, you're welcome at Connect Church. We did not have services at the time. I did not tell him that, besides the point. What was just a, a, a simple simple gift for us was monumental for him and the, the crazy thing is is we can all do that we don't need a seminary degree we don't need a ministry title 
We don't have to move overseas. We just need to see the needs in front of us and be willing to put down our plans to pursue God's purposes. Scripture is very clear that God's heart breaks for the broken. He brings hope to the hurting. He loves the unlovable. God loves everyone, and he wants a relationship with every one. So as his followers, as his followers of Jesus, you know what we're charged to? We're charged to live as an everyday missionary with the daily purpose of loving the one in need. Live as an everyday missionary with the daily purpose of loving the one in need. Jesus drove home this point with his know-it-all religious expert this way. Verses 36 and 37. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. You'll remember, the conversation began with the religious expert trying to justify himself, prove how much he knew, prove his maturity because of his knowledge. Well, Jesus schooled him in true spiritual maturity because it's actually love expressed in action. That's what maturity looks like in God's eyes. Jesus flipped the whole script on him. This guy wanted to know, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? Because then he can write people off. Oh, you're not my neighbor. Sorry, not going to love you. No. Jesus is like, look, it's not, the question is not, who's my neighbor? The, the reality is, you are their neighbor. And because you're their neighbor, you love them. You meet their needs. You help the hurting. It's an identity thing. As followers of Jesus, we live differently. We are a people who live as everyday missionaries. We don't write people off. We seek to love. And sometimes that's going to be tough because it's going to mean we have to get out of our own ivory tower and we need to go help the hurting around us because the goal isn't knowledge gained. The goal is love expressed. So may our knowledge of God actually lead us to the heart of God. May we feel what God feels. May what breaks God's heart break our hearts. And then let's go do something about it. So yeah, orthodoxy has its place. Orthopathy has its place. But may it express itself in orthopraxy, the way we live our lives. Head, heart, hands, all matter. And it sounds an awful lot like the great commandment, if you ask me, where Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. We love. We love others because God expressed his love first to us. In fact, 1 John 4.19 says we love because he first loved us. The gospel isn't that, that simply God just loves everyone. No, he loves everyone, each person. And because of that, he sent Jesus, who came to seek and save the lost. You and me, when we were far from God, Jesus came for us. And then, because we're connected with Jesus, we now are motivated 
to go and love those who don't know him yet. So they too can connect with Jesus and experience God's love for them. You see, the gospel changes us so deeply that we're a different people. We aren't living for ourselves. We're living as everyday missionaries. God's love is overflowing from us to those around us. Practically speaking, what would it look like to live as an everyday missionary, loving the one in need? Well, here are a couple of things. For those of you who like three points, here are your three points. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Andy Stanley is a pastor, author, lives in Atlanta. He says that all the time, and it is such a good reminder for me. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Because left to myself, you know what I do? I say, oh, I can't help them. I can't meet that need. Because if I did that, like, I'd have to do it for everyone. But Jesus wasn't paralyzed by that lie. Jesus, in a crowd of people, when a woman touched his cloak and was healed from bleeding after 12 years, Jesus stopped to minister to her. Uh, after uh, when another day, completely different day in Jesus' ministry, he's at the pool of Bethesda. This is where a bunch of invalid, lame, injured, hurting people would go day after day in hopes of being healed. Jesus showed up, made his way through, probably a crowd of hurt people, but he went up to this guy who'd been lame for 38 years. 38 years. And he says, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Another day in Jesus' ministry, crowds are forming in Jericho because they want to see Jesus. He's coming through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. They want to see him. They've heard the rumors. They want to see Jesus, including a tax collector, Zacchaeus, a guy no one else wanted to ever spend any time with. Zacchaeus climbed up in a sycamore fig tree because he's short. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus walked right up to that tree, looked up and said, Zacchaeus, you got to come down. I'm coming to your house for dinner. Because Jesus did for one what he wished he could do for everyone. Number two, care for people rather than use people because people are the ministry. With Jesus, people were better off after the time they spent with him. People never left Jesus' presence spent or burnt. Like, no, they left full. They left alive because Jesus didn't use people to accomplish his ministry. Jesus cared for people. People are the ministry for Jesus. So when we go to work and we're interacting with our coworkers or our employees are relating with us, or we're at home or wherever we find ourselves, let's not be people who use others. Let's be people like Jesus who care for others. And as everyday missionaries, three, let's Bless the one far from God because God's for everyone. Each person matters to him. Our, our most fundamental need as humans is a relationship with God. That's what God created us for in the very beginning. Sin has broken that relationship and it's why he sent Jesus. God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. Now as his followers, we get to carry on Jesus' mission, his ministry in his absence, his physical absence. So we're a people who seek to bless them, bless others. Bless, it's just an acronym, very simple. It stands for begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, share. Those are just practical ways we can love those in need in our life. Because we are a people, just like God's people throughout the millennia, who are blessed 
to be a blessing. This is who we are. And as long as we think that, that making the most of our lives, oh, that's just for like professional Christians. You know, something that you got to get like some special degree to do. Well, if we, if we think that, then most of us are going to feel like second-class citizens in God's kingdom. And our potential, our God-given potential is going to lie dormant when we've been invited to tap into that in the power of his spirit working through us to make a difference in the lives of those around us. You see, Jesus had a different perspective on things. Jesus was less focused on how much people knew and more focused upon how they lived. He wanted someone's knowledge to be lived out in action. He wasn't looking for a bunch of spiritually obese people. He wants people who are active, healthy, fit, doing what he's called them to. We don't need a certain degree. We don't need a certain title. We simply need to live as an everyday missionary with the daily purpose of loving the one in need. And when we do little things like they're big things, I think God's going to start to do big things like they're little things. And together, in partnership with him, we're going to start to see both our neighborhoods and the nations transformed by the power of the gospel. As we close, I, I don't want to just pray over us in a, in a perfunctory way. I actually want to pray for us. I want to pray for you. Because one of, the, one of the blessings in my life has been when I felt called to go live out my purpose, I was prayed over. been prayed over multiple times. Each time is a gift. I need a lot of prayer. And some of you, you've been following Jesus for years, decades. And you've watched a lot of people get prayed over. But no one's ever invited you to be prayed over as you live out your purpose. But the truth is, this isn't a paid professional thing. We are all on Team Jesus, and we all get to be a part of his work in our everyday lives. We, you know, we read that, that we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. That's for all of us. All of us who follow Jesus, we're all called to that. We know that as disciples of Jesus, we're commissioned to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded us. That great commission, that's not just for like the paid professionals either. That's for all of us. All of us who follow Jesus, we are all called to live as everyday missionaries and love the one in need. So, if you are willing to follow Jesus as Jesus asked us to follow him, then in just a moment, I'm going to invite you to stand and I'm going to pray over you. This is an invitation to those who want to love the one in need next door, the one in need at work, the one in need at the gym, the one in need who sits next to you at class. There are needs all around us. And God placed you and me where he's placed us so we can love them. Love these people because God loves them deeply. So if you want to be prayed over, I invite you right now to stand right up, right where you are. 
This is for every follower of Jesus. Every follower of Jesus who wants to follow Jesus and love the one in need. I'd invite you to the front, but we'd all be up here, okay? Here's what I'm going to do. I want to read a passage reminding you of who you are, and then I'm going to pray. And it is, I pray as a blessing um, because it has been such a blessing when people have prayed for me. This is, this is what 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 say. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. With that in mind, let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for calling each one of us to yourself. Thank you for Jesus connecting us with you. And thank you that we're not just sitting in a holding pattern, waiting until heaven one day, that you actually have a purpose for us each day, a daily purpose. And God, I ask that, that by the power of your spirit, you would, you would empower each and every person standing in this room to use the gifts that you've given them, to express the love you've shown them so that their neighborhoods and apartment complexes in schools, in workplaces, in homes would be radically different because you placed them there. Thank you that you do the big things and you invite us to be a part by doing little things. So would you give us the courage? Would you give us the faith? Would you give us the love to do the little things like they're big things? And when we do, would we see you seriously transform not just our own little world, but the world by the power of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.